thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Friday, we were like, it's time for us to get Kaysen a bigger car seat. And uh, so we decided that it was just, we're going to get those nice toddler seats that are rear-facing and front-facing and com- all those convertible ones. Got online because, like, I just want to, I just don't want to get it. Just get it out of the way. I don't want to order it. Come in a few days, even if Amazon has two-day shipping. And I see Target has some, and it said there were six available. So I got super excited. And we get to Target. Well, actually, we went out to eat first, which was enjoyable. And Cason uh, thought Buffalo Wild Wings with all the TVs was the most cool, awesome thing in the world. Uh, but then we, get to, <laughs> then we get to Target, and they're completely sold out. And I'm like, there's no way you sold six since 10.30 last night and now 11.30, you know, or 12 o'clock today, unless it's just a different weekend. So I had them look. They said, no, we are out. There's no, you know, I guess truck coming for a few days. And I said, okay, we'll just go home. And uh, then we enjoyed the rest of the evening, uh, or the rest of the, the afternoon, getting some other things. But it was enjoyable, although just disappointing that we couldn't get what we really went all the way to Florence for. But it was enjoyable just to spend time together. And uh, one of my favorite things to do when I'm in the store is to put Kaysen in the shopping cart and to act like a crazy man and like swerve around whenever there's nobody in the way. And Kaysen gets super excited because he's in that stage where he just gibbers and jabbers and just makes all these noises. And I'll gibber and jabber back just to, you know, try to get him to say something. And it's super exciting. And when I think of also he said what, it's so funny that Kaysen's picked up on uh, what's that. So he says, what's that? And uh, so he gets really exciting. But sometimes when, a, when he's gibbering, I have no idea what he's saying. And just like I'm sure the, any parents in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. They're just jibber-jabbering, and they're trying to say something. They're trying to communicate, but we're not really receiving the message very well. And I, and I like to think of that as the same thing I think sometimes the, the people who were listening to Jesus felt like. Because Jesus often spoke in parables. He would speak in illustrations, and they just never got it. They didn't get the big picture. Sometimes they didn't really understand what the purpose of what he was saying was. And sometimes he would say, do you not get it? Do you not understand? But here in Mark 8, even though he frequently spoke in parables, this time he spoke very plainly. Uh, he said, I don't want you to miss this. Uh, I, I, he, he, he spoke on the same topic a little more, I guess, uh, figuratively, but this time he was very straightforward. And in, in Mark 8, in verse 31, it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He didn't speak in, you know, off to the, you know, hinting at it. He just sat them down and said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected, and I want to be killed. And then he also said, I'll be raised, but I think they definitely often over and over, they miss that part especially. But I want you to imagine your best friend, who also, not just your closest friend, someone you're spending all this time with, but you also believe, for good reason, to be the Son of God, to be deity, sits you down and says, 
hey, in a little bit, it's all going to be over. At least from your perspective, all you're hearing is, our time together is about to end. I'm going to be rejected. It's not going to work. And I want to be killed. And that's the end of our, our time together. They, they kind of freak out a little bit. They don't know what to think. Because all they, because again, remember, they missed the whole point of Jesus establishing a kingdom. They had in their mind, as all the other Jews did, that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom. He was going to build up Israel back to what they used to be, to be the world-dominating power, and they were going to be back on top, and they didn't have to worry about these evil Romans anymore. They didn't have to worry about anyone coming to overthrow them. They were going to be the big man on top again. That's what they were excited about. And Jesus comes and says, sit you down. Hey, guys, your rulers are going to reject me. And I want to be killed. And then what they hear is, it's over. Have we followed this guy for nothing? This is not the plan. And I love Peter being Peter in verse 32. It says, and he said this plainly. So he said it very directly. But then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's a little bold. So as I'm thinking about things, I have to think of this. Just, we are not smarter than God. But here, it's almost like Peter thinks he has it all figured out. And he, in, in his mind, he says, this is not the plan, Jesus. Just Now remember, just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, who do people say I am? They say, you, they say you're Elijah. They say you're the prophet. And he says, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. So Peter's already made the, the great confession. He's already made the statement by saying, I believe you're the one we've been waiting for. And just after that, Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. And then Peter, knowing, already admitting that I believe you're deity, you're God, you're the son of God, pulls Jesus aside and begins to correct Jesus, the creator of the world, begins to correct Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, begins to create Jesus, who is deity. Sometimes Peter gets ahead of himself just a little bit. And, but we look at Peter as to say, well, I can't believe he would think that he was smarter. That he said, Jesus, this is not the plan. The plan is to establish the kingdom. The plan is that you're going to put us on top. The plan is not for you to die. The plan is not for you to be rejected. We're going to fix this. You've got to stop talking nonsense. I imagine that's kind of the conversation Jesus, I mean, Peter was trying to have with Jesus when I think of that, I say, well, I would never do that. But when I do things my way, when I say, God, I, I, I'm asking this, but I want it this way, and I'm only going to be happy if it's done this way, we tend to think what our plan is is the only plan, and we'll get to that throughout this whole, whole lesson. But it's problematic because we are not smarter than God. But as we're looking at this, I love what, what happened this next. In verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples. So imagine as this is happening, it's not like Peter's not known for being subtle. I mean, he took Jesus aside, but I imagine all the other disciples probably overheard this conversation because if, if someone's pulling Jesus aside from your little group, you're like, what are they talking about? So they're kind of being nosy or at least trying to see what's going on. And I imagine there's this tense situation. Either they agree with Peter and they're like, hey, at least someone said it, or they think, Peter, you're overstepping. It's one of those two things, at least those are the two, I guess, reactions I think I would have. I hope I would have the latter. 
But, but as that happens, it says, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said this, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And, you know, if, if I'm Peter and I'm like, hey, this is the plan. I really believe this. And I got I to gotta make sure this plan happens because Jesus is obviously mistaken here. He's forgotten the big purpose. He's forgotten the plan, so he starts rebuking him, and then Jesus turns and says, calls him, get behind me, Satan. They're like, um, name's Peter, thanks, I'm not Satan. Again, just, just correcting you again. I mean, I imagine there's this tense moment where he goes, well, what just happened? Did Jesus really just call Peter Satan? Did he really just say that? I imagine that would be a little offensive. I mean, if someone, I mean, to us, sometimes we like to use this phrase as a joke. Someone says, oh, hey, you know, for me, like if I'm trying to get healthy, uh, if you want to tempt me, give me a milkshake. Uh, I love milkshakes. There's all kinds of stories about that. Just ask Matthew. But I love those things. And I, sometimes I might say, hey, get behind me, Satan, because I don't need that right now. But this was not a joke. Jesus was not kidding, was not trying to make light of a, a serious situation. He was saying, you need to get behind me. Because you're speaking things that, that Satan wants. It's a pretty harsh statement. And we'll look at how we can start unpacking all these things. Because the key part to this verse is, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now we all can relate to that. We may not all think that, oh, I don't think I'm smarter than God, but... Peter's, I guess, trap he fell into was focusing on the things of man. Man had believed that this was going to happen, and when Jesus came, it wasn't what they thought. But instead of saying, obviously, we were wrong because God is greater than we are, they dug their heels in and said, there's no way we were wrong. There's no way. We've studied this for generations. We couldn't have possibly got this wrong. And because I'm unwilling to allow God's will to be done because it wasn't what I thought God's will really was, Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus says, mm -mm, that's not what this is all about. Get behind me, Satan. See, sometimes it's hard for us to follow God's will because we have a different thing in mind. We have a different plan that we think is supposed to happen. And sometimes the best thing we can do to, to get behind God's will is maybe just to get out of the way. <laughs> Jesus was basically saying, get out of my way because this has to happen. And right now you're standing in my way of, of having that accomplished. Let God's will be, you know, be will. Let God be God. With Peter, I imagine not only was he standing in, in, in Jesus' way of accomplishing what the plan was, but let's also think back to the garden where Jesus was, was pleading with God, hey, I don't want to go to the cross. Because if there's any other way, let's do that. But then he followed it up with, but not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus understood that, hey, even if I don't understand, even if really I don't want to in this moment, that God's will is greater. And I imagine that temptation of Peter saying, hey, no, we can fix this. We can have, an, this, is the, this is the real plan. That there was that temptation. Jesus was tempted just like we were, just like we are. And I imagine he was saying, you need to get out of my way because 
that is at least tempting somewhat. And it's hard for us to think of Jesus being tempted, although we know he was. We read about that in the Gospels. We read about that in Hebrews. So he says, you need to get behind me because I have something greater to do. He goes on, and this is when he really starts to, to explain this. And then he calls a crowd to him. So as now he's told his disciples what to do. He's rebuked Peter in front of that, that small group. But then he calls the crowd in verse 34. He begins to explain something, which I think answers the question, what happens when my will and God's will don't agree? Because Peter's will and Jesus' will and God's will did not agree in this moment. And I think we can all put ourselves in, in those shoes. So what happens then? Verse 34 through uh, 30, 38, uh, Jesus says, or the scripture says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. So he gives them this lesson that says, this is the purpose. When, we, when, when you don't agree with me, this is what you really need to do. Because God's will, my will, is greater than yours. So the first thing is living for Jesus requires you to deny self. So Peter, you might think you have it all figured out. You're a good student. I get where you're coming from, but you're wrong. And what you want is not going to happen. That was something that Peter had to learn through his whole life. Peter, what you want is, may not happen, and a lot of times is, is not going to happen, Peter. I remember when, when Peter was on the roof and God was giving him the command to eat those animals, he told him three times. He's like, oh, I'm not doing it, God. Not doing it. God's like, eat what's been made. And what was unclean has been made clean three times. Peter, you're not smarter than God. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves that. But denying ourselves is the commitment or, that we made, the decision that we made when we put on Christ and baptism. He said, I'm no longer going to live for myself, but I'm now going to live for him. In Galatians 2, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, right? I live for myself, right? No. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He also writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We have to deny ourselves. And that's probably, that, well, that's that step one, but it's a hard first step. Because if we're honest, we like, our, we like things our way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be our way. <laughs> Whenever uh, we're, we're doing something, we're doing it because we think it's the best thing to do. And in this case, when it comes between us and God, 
We may think that we have it all figured out, but we have to remember that we are not smarter than God. Now, denying ourselves is actually part of that humbling ourselves, but also admitting that, God, your ways are greater than my ways, and I'm going to do everything it takes to please you because I know your plan is going to happen whether I like for it to or not. The Pharisees were the greatest scholars of their time, and they missed the boat because they were unwilling to say we might be wrong. They were unwilling to say, God's ways are higher than my ways. They were so stuck in their tradition and their ways of doing things, they were unwilling to deny themselves. When we become Christians, we're saying the old has died, the new has come. But some of us, and I've used this analogy before, but some of us are still dragging around our dead body behind us. And just by the way, if you dead bodies smell real bad, and if you pull around a dead carcass around you long enough, people aren't going to want to be around you. And, uh, it's gonna be, and that's kind of what we're doing when we, when we refuse to deny self, but we claim we've been baptized and we're living for Jesus. Jesus says, you've got to be all in, and you've got to do things my way, which brings us to this next point. Living for Jesus requires you to carry your cross. Now, if we go back in verse 34, this is what we're unpacking. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then the third point we'll look at in just a second is follow me. And he explains why to do that after. And he says, again, if you don't do these things, and you, and he says, I love this part. It says, you're ashamed of me and my words. We would never do that when we refuse to submit to his will. And we put our will above his. In essence, that's what we are doing. But living for Jesus requires us to carry our cross. What does that mean? Well, for them, and for some of those who were listening, it might have meant an actual cross. For some of them, it did mean an actual cross. When they would lose their lives because of Christ. They would lose their lives because of Jesus, because of the gospel, because of God, because of standing for truth. We may not be in that same situation. So, so what does this carrying our cross really look like? And as I was thinking about this, I also realized it, it might just be serving where we are, using our gifts, and growing where we're planted. Because we've been given gifts, talents, and abilities by God. And he says, I want you to use them for my glory. I want you to serve my people, serve me, and serve the kingdom so we can grow and glorify God together. And that's a huge responsibility. But sometimes we like just to kind of sit down and say, oh, somebody else can do it. I've done, an, I've done enough years of this it's someone else's turn is one of the biggest myths we can say. But sometimes we'll say, ah, it's just, I'll do it when I'm, I'll do it later, I'll do it later. We make all these excuses to not carry our cross, whether it's persecution, whether it's trials, or whether it's just the responsibilities of using what God has given us to glorify him by denying ourselves and following him. So a few verses that I think of is just really the first two Focus on serving one another. We've been talking about that a lot lately, but we can't just overlook it. It's not something we can glance by and say, oh, it's really, it's not as great as serving God. They're both important. In Galatians 5, Paul says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Says, That's good news. I'm free. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, you can do a whole lot of things. And you've been given that freedom, but don't let it go. Don't misuse it. Don't squander your opportunity. 
And he says, don't use it to serve what? Self, flesh. Don't use it to serve self. But how? Through love, serve one another. Peter says in Peter, um, 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to what? Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It says, serve one another. All of that is, in my opinion, part of carrying your cross, carrying your responsibilities, being that example. Because as we're carrying our cross, as we're denying self, we're bearing the name of Christ. We claim to be Christians, which is Christ, right? people who follow Christ. And I had a, a teacher, I think it was a professor once, it was explaining this, and we were talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. And a lot of us, when we hear that, we think of the expression, you know, oh my, fill in the blank. And that would be one form of it. But he challenged us to say, using the Lord's name in vain is misrepresenting or abusing or using his name in a way that is not intended for it to be used. And we're saying, I'm a Christian, but we're living completely anti to Christ. We're not denying ourselves. We're not carrying our cross. We're not following him. But we're saying, I'm a Christian. We're saying, this is what Christ looks like. And we're abusing his name. And it's another form of taking his name in vain. And as we think about these things, serving one another has to be one of the most important things we do. But of course, we can't say, well, we can't ignore also serving God. See, Paul wrote in Romans 12, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. He was giving them some commandments in this chapter, and he just laid it out there. He says, don't be slothful, right? He goes, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. These things are important. Jesus himself said in John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And we'll be talking about following in just a few moments. And he says, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I want to be honored. We all at least want some kind of honor. And here Jesus says, here's how to get honor from the creator of the universe. Serve me. Follow me. Do the things that I'm doing. Paul said in Colossians, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, living for Jesus requires you to carry your cross, whether, again, that is by persecution, whether you have to stand up in situations that's not beneficial to you, at least in the worldly standard. It might cost you something. You might have to give up an opportunity. You might have to give up a certain relationship. Or maybe it's just simply saying, I'm going to accept and bear my responsibilities and use the things God has given me so I can glorify him. Which really just simply says is following Jesus. You know, Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll do the things that I'm also doing. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. All of those are important things if we're making God's will our will. See, Peter was trying to make his will God's will instead of making, sorry, I, I did this last time I spoke and I always got it flip-flopped. We have to make sure that our will matches God's will. And Peter was trying to say, no, my will is right and I'm gonna force my will on, on Jesus. That's not following Jesus. That's not letting him lead. You know, Galatians talks about the fruit of the spirit, but it also says about walking by the spirit. And it says, we have to walk by the Spirit. I was um, t 
listening to, I think it was Dan Chambers, uh, do a lesson on this. And he used to say, you, a lot of times we'll see that bumper sticker. Have you seen it? That is like, God's my co-pilot. You all seen that bumper sticker? I think he's, and it's like, and he goes, that's the most awful bumper sticker because he should really, what, God should be in the driver's seat, right? The Holy Spirit should be in the driver's seat. So he said he used to, to use that analogy and preach that we need to make sure that the Spirit's in the driver's seat. But then if you're like me, you're a really bad backseat driver. And uh, he says, then you actually have to let it drive. Some of us will say, oh yeah, God's the driver. The Spirit's in the driver's seat, but we're still trying to, to manipulate the driver. We're still trying to tell it where to go. We're like that dumb GPS that keeps saying recalculating, even though there's no way to turn. And uh, we keep saying, this is the way I want to go. Do it my way. When really it's just as simple as following Jesus. Following his example to follow the Father's will. See, Jesus in the garden goes, God, I I don't want to do this. But if there's no other way, I'll do it. Because it's really not about me, Jesus said. Not my will, but yours be done. I was talking to my friend Josh, and uh, he's a minister in in Baton Rouge. And we mentioned this on our podcast this last Thursday when we were talking about the Spirit and listening to the Spirit. And uh, we've seen a meme, and you may have seen it too, but, but I think it's relevant here. And it's, if you never disagree with your God, then you probably are worshiping a false version of your God. When we never disagree with God, then we probably are missing something because there are some things in scripture that I say, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't see why I need to do that. God, God's crazy. I don't need to do that. I don't say that, but sometimes our actions say that. And there are other things that say, God says, I can't do this, but I really want to do that. If we never disagree and say, I don't understand why I need to or why I can't do that, or we say, I don't see the importance, or I just really don't want to. Then maybe we're not opening up our heart to allow the scripture to prick us enough to say, maybe I do need to change. Because it's really not about me. It's making sure that I'm following him. And there are some things that we just won't understand. But here's the question. If we're refusing to admit or refusing to allow God to guide us and we're digging our heels in the ground and saying, I'm going to do things my way. If Jesus, was, if Jesus was here, would he look at us and say, get behind me, Satan? We say, get out of my way. I have things to accomplish. My will is going to be accomplished and you're standing in my way. Are you going to say, I'm going to get behind you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to work hard for you? Because that's what it's really all about. So this morning, if you're struggling with one of those things, maybe you're struggling with just following him because it's hard. The, the, the life to lead, or the life of following is a hard life because there are things that are challenging. But also maybe you haven't first said, I want to deny myself. And I want to say, I'm no longer going to live for myself, but I'm going to live for him. If you haven't put him on a baptism, you haven't denied yourself just yet. You haven't said, I'm going to die to self and be raised a new creation. But maybe you have done that, but you're still carrying your old body. You're still saying, "Mm, I like this life better. Then again, you're not carrying your cross. You're not following him. And you really haven't truly denied him just yet. 
or maybe you once did and now you're no longer. If you need encouragement to begin that life again, to encouragement to fight the temptation to follow your own will, or maybe you want to become a Christian, we would love to do that this morning. Please come now while we stand and sing. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Yeah.